Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Manjili, the unstoppable executive director of the Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, CNCA, a global network of trailblazing cities leading the change in climate action. Simone is driving CNCA's strategic development and groundbreaking initiatives. His mission to empower member cities in pioneering innovation and paving the way for climate neutral cities worldwide. With over 20 years of experience spanning the UN, United States, Europe, and the Middle East, Simone's expertise knows no bound. He has worked tirelessly across local government and cities, nonprofits, and the private sector, championing a wide range of initiatives dedicated to forging a just and sustainable future. But it doesn't stop there. Simone's true passion lies in collaborating with city stakeholders and communities at the intersection of climate change and sustainability. Simone has also inspired students worldwide through teaching and collaborations with prestigious educational institutions, emphasizing the significance of territorial and environmental planning. So, Simone, welcome to Energetic. Thanks so much, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for the gracious introduction. Thank you so much. So, Simone, how did you get into this field? I mean, were you born first in Italy or in the US? I'm always confused. I was born in Milano, Italy. And actually moved to the States uh, when I was a, a young child with my family. Spent about 20 years in the States. Oh, wow. So you're a real citizen of the world with a, a very thorough understanding of what, of both sides of, of the Atlantic. That's how I feel. Uh, absolutely. Having sort of straddled both Europe and the U.S. for many decades now and other parts of the world, I've been extremely lucky and privileged to uh, have uh, traveled and worked in, in many regions uh, of the world. So I feel very much uh, able to empathize and create synergies and collaborations with different geographies. That's great. But you do that very specifically on climate policies and sustainability. And how did you get into this field? Was there any transformative moment? Was it during your studies? And, and really, what are your drivers? That's a good question. I think my passion for sustainability and climate really stems from deep experiences in the natural world. I can think back to a really significant uh, experience in actually in Puerto Rico uh, when I was in high school in a service learning program uh, doing conservation work on the island of Culebra, helping uh, supporting volunteers in leatherback sea turtle conservation. And uh, that experience, I think, really consolidated a great passion for uh, environmental sustainability, natural resources, our natural world, biodiversity, and by consequence, the impact of climate and the necessity uh, and the, the urgency of conservation and sustainability practice from there. But I think since my work has largely concentrated in urban areas, I think at a certain point I transitioned that passion to sort of uh, understanding how urban development would impact sustainability and climate a local, regional, and global level. And so I've uh, managed to combine that 
concentration uh, on environmental sustainability uh, with a passion for urban development and sustainable uh, urban development. Okay. And one of the words you used when we kind of prepared this conversation was ecosystem, which very much relates uh, to natural environments, but you're somehow building ecosystem or sustainable ecosystems in, in cities as well. And a big part of your job is really to evaluate and then from this evaluation, build something. And it was something that you very much did in your previous position uh, at the city of Turin. It's actually how we met uh, when you were working um, at the city of Turin. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this kind of uh, ecosystem thinking that really goes uh, beyond, let's say, straightforward way of thinking that would be kind of narrow-minded? I'm sure that I'd be happy to. And I think I'd pick up where I was heading before. I think that It's essential that we look at our built environment uh, not as separate from the natural uh, world and the ecosystems and the ecoscapes that our cities are an integral part of. And that means understanding how natural systems can grow and thrive within our cities for uh, a number of uh, important reasons. One, the ability of natural ecosystems and nature-based solutions to help us mitigate and help us adapt to climate change, increasing uh, quality of life uh, on a number of fronts. And I think One of my earlier professional experiences was uh, sort of uh, straddling the practice of land conservation and urban development. And so we focused a great deal on creating green infrastructure in urban environments uh, precisely to increase quality of life and to mitigate against climate change. And I've taken uh, that approach further in the city of Torino. I was lucky to be able to have the opportunity to develop uh, a number of, I think, innovative uh, initiatives with our colleagues at the city of Torino to base long-term planning around the optimization of ecosystem services. So looking at our green infrastructure systems within the city of Torino and understanding how to augment, uh, support, and optimize that green infrastructure uh, in order to generate a whole host of ecosystem services that would benefit residents uh, and also ecosystems uh, overall. So for me, it's, it's quite natural to think about the nexus of green infrastructure, nature-based solutions, uh, community development, ec social equity, and uh, climate mitigation and adaptation. Is there an initiative in particular that would, you would like to present here or something that you're very kind of proud of that really could inspire other cities representatives to maybe replicate somehow? On that same uh, on that same front, one initiative that we pioneered in the city of Torino was really a comprehensive valuation of ecosystem services generated by the entire green infrastructure system of the city of Torino. So a citywide evaluation based on almost 10 different ecosystem services uh, to understand exactly the contribution that green infrastructure makes to the everyday quality of life of residents. So uh, that meant really digging deep uh, into an understanding of uh, what uh, ecosystem services are generated by our green infrastructure, how those change and evolve over time, what actions can be put in place to maximize or optimize those ecosystem services, how to communicate that value to residents and to policymakers and other colleagues, and how to, how to develop cross-sector 
collaboration uh, across city departments to understand how, uh, as a whole, the city can operate in such a way as to uh, maximize those ecosystem services. So that I think that as a basis for long-term planning was quite, uh, I think, innovative, but it also created a, a number of opportunities for uh, the city to engage private stakeholders, to engage residents, to engage other institutions and partners in the work to optimize and uh, to increase uh, the green infrastructure in our cities. And so that led to opportunities to work with private sector on urban forestry initiatives. It led to opportunities to work with uh, environmental and community groups and community residents on the improvement of public green space and open space led to opportunities to work to generate and develop systems for uh, private development to engage with the green infrastructure system and to uh, really integrate climate adaptation and in some cases mitigation into their development processes. And so I think it was really quite uh, exciting to have sort of yeah unique constellation of sort of opportunities come together from all of this work. Yeah. And what I find really interesting as well is that you no longer work with the city of Turin and uh, there has been some political changes, but that's uh, part of the democratic process. But still, the city seems to have built, like the current local government seems to have built a lot on this previous experience as well. And we both live in Turin and we can see that every day that there is a continuity between what was done by the previous administration and what is being done uh, currently, and that the, this kind of work that you perform really prepared the ground for also the funding that arrived, you know, following the, um, the COVID crisis and all the, actually the climate mitigation money that has come with that, what's called PNNR. So it's really like interesting to see that there can be continuity and, uh, and when you really prepare the ground, I mean, the rest actually follows through and that's quite inspiring, really. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I think the approach uh, that we took was based on building capacity within uh, the city administration itself. So a lot of the work that we did in preparation for the development of the strategic green infrastructure plan of the climate resiliency plan of the sustainable uh, urban forest management plan and so forth was really done working very closely with city offices. Um, and I think there are other approaches of sort of handing off uh, a lot of uh, that work to consultants or to other uh, institutions. But we felt very strongly that this was a key part uh, of the process was building capacity within the administration. And I think, you know, like, Just to be very honest and quite frank, you know, any new administration has to gain the trust and sort of a partnership of uh, city administrators. And that takes some time. And over uh, the first couple of years, I think we worked hard to do that. And uh, once I think that partnership solidified then and that trust uh, consolidated, I think we were able to to do a great deal uh, together in partnership with the city offices and to uh, really develop sort of a, a long-term capacity that to this day continues to, I think, underlie uh, a lot of the approaches that uh, the new and successive administrations are taking. And I think uh, part of, of what we see happening today because of the of the funding from PNRR is, is definitely a result of the fact that we cultivated that ground, that we did develop the long-term planning tools 
that form the basis of a lot of the projects, uh, specifically in green infrastructure and climate that we see today. So we see lots of urban uh, acupuncture, climate adaptation and resiliency work happening in different neighborhoods in the city, depaving and adding, uh, integrating green infrastructure to manage stormwater to to mitigate against uh, urban heat and heat island uh, effects and create more uh, walkable, safe, inviting places for folks. So also attracting different more sustainable and soft modes of mobility because of that. And and so it's it's really uh, exciting to, to see all that. At the same time, we see a lot of uh, urban forestry work continuing onwards um, with a n- number of partnerships that uh, have been, uh, I think, very successful in engaging private sector in in advancing the climate goals of the city. So I think it, it is uh, actually very inspiring to, to see that continuity and to keep following these projects and initiatives as they evolve. Yeah, and it's nice also to be like an outsider somehow, say it's also the result of my previous work, but I don't have anything to say about it anymore. And that's uh, that's good to see somehow your legacy. And building really on, on this kind of experience, it feels that your work as the executive director of uh, CNCA, the Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, was m- exactly made for you because you now have a pivotal role in shaping the future of cities worldwide, really. And you are like steering them into a more sustainable approaches as well, which means a lot of granular work uh, with them to build capacity at their administrative level and to go beyond, let's say, short-term political agenda, but really have a long-term conversation. So could you elaborate a little bit more on CNCA and how it differs from other initiatives that involve cities and also share some kind of replicable practices that you have noticed since you've started with CNCA? Sure, thank you. The Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance is uh, is a unique network apart from other city-facing networks, both in uh, Europe and North America and in other geographies. Born in 2015, the alliance is composed of just over uh, 20 uh, cities across uh, various geographies. So we have nine members in North America, uh, seven in Europe, three in Australia, uh, one in Japan, and one in Brazil. But as you can tell from the size, it's a very intimate organization. It's a very intimate uh, alliance. And that's when I think of the distinguishing uh, factors is all of our cities are leading are those cities that are really, I think, were already defining and uh, setting really ambitious targets back then for carbon neutrality and have continued to lead the way over the past uh, almost uh, decade. And they really, I think, created this alliance as a space for collaboration among leading cities as a space to uh, share learnings, to create uh, collaborations, to create opportunities to innovate together, but also uh, spaces to build capacity and develop uh, new approaches in emerging policy areas. And so, you know, we, uh, I think, work uh, closely with other uh, city-facing networks on uh, a number of fronts and uh, are very uh, keen to uh, maintain active partnerships and collaborations. And yet at the same time, uh, CNCA, I think, offers a, a distinct kind of value proposition for our members in terms of the ability to be a space that's member-driven by the cities uh, themselves and set the agenda for their 
activities and do so in a way that's uh, agile, that's responsive to where cities uh, and members are at the, uh, you know, at any given point in time. And I'd like to say, you know, I'd like to think of, uh, of us really supporting our cities in, in their work. So uh, I think we, as a, uh, I think a, a team of international experts, we, we certainly do look for opportunities to stimulate and to fertilize uh, our conversations and our policy directions. But at the same time, you know, we follow uh, very much the leadership of our cities and create uh, space for supporting the innovative action and and policies that they're uh, really pioneering. So some of the places where we're, I think, most effective and most uh, engaged some of the spaces in which we're, we're most uh, sort of engaged in terms of, of leading in the development of uh, scales and practices and policy innovations are uh, probably around how to center uh, equity and justice in climate action and in reaching climate uh, neutrality and carbon neutrality goals, but also in other areas, how to broaden our policy efforts to think more broadly about emissions in the urban environment to include those emissions that are embodied or embedded in our uh, consumption patterns and in our lived, built environment and so forth. So uh, looking beyond the sort of traditional calculations of, of where our sort of point source or, or uh, non-point source emissions come from to slightly uh, further afield uh, along the whole life cycle of everything that is consumed in the urban environment. So it's, a, a, as I said, a, a very intimate space uh, full of collaborations, full of, uh, you know, opportunities to to create relationships, to create trust and to innovate uh, among practitioners. I think that's also uh, something that needs to be highlighted is that our members, our core members really are uh, the policymakers and practitioners leading the, the innovative pioneering work to meet carbon uh, neutrality goals. And so, and so that also is, uh, I think, uh, a distinguishing factor. So you invited me last year at one of your CNCA's event, and I found it really, really interesting how open your members were to discuss, to really share their struggles, as you said, policy managers and uh, and really policymakers. And the platform of discussion was really, let's say, they were really open to vulnerability in their in a sense. And I found it really inspiring that they were sharing that they were facing issues towards in certain areas or towards certain public. And indeed, what I also found really, really inspiring is that they all understand that climate equity comes with the, this fair share of, of climate justice and really a better integration of the most uh, vulnerable populations of the town that really inhabit them. And, and I was really wondering, so in your work and your activities with CNCA, how do you really make sure that social equity remains at the center of policy development and also at the level of the implementation of your work? Well, thank you, uh, Maureen. Yeah, I think for CNCA, the equity and justice work is is a central pillar of our organization uh, as an organization in and of itself, but also uh, as uh, of all the support that we provide uh, member cities and, and, and not just member cities. It's really, a, I think, a, a central driver and the starting point for us of how we can support our, our city officers in developing uh, climate policy for a just transition. And it varies, I think, 
somewhat across uh, geographies where cities are in their you know experience and and processes uh, uh, related to centering uh, equity and justice in in the transition. But we uh, we take an approach that I think is context driven. So uh, meeting our our member cities where they are and helping to build uh, capacity from that starting point. Uh, and I think we're successfully sort of bringing uh, along work in a number of cohorts uh, in North America, in Europe, in Australia, and so forth. That uh, I think is really building a kind of a, a broad understanding of how uh, to best uh, center uh, equity and justice in the transition and uh, a body of uh, innovation in doing so uh, uh, in practice, uh, whether it's developing uh, equity assessment tools for climate plans and climate policy or uh, supporting cities in deepening their relationships uh, with local communities and developing uh, approaches to engage and and shift power really towards uh, communities in defining climate challenges and developing climate actions and initiatives. And we often find that our policymakers, our our core members, uh, don't uh, necessarily uh, share the lived experiences of all of the communities uh, in their cities. And so creating the space for those communities to be a central part of the process is really the the uh, what underpins uh, the support uh, and the, the the work that we're trying to support our cities in, in doing yeah indeed so what are actually the most pressing challenges or obstacles the city may face in their journey towards uh, social equity, toward climate neutrality as well. And how does CNC actively address and try to overcome those challenges and to support uh, cities really effectively? I think one of the the main challenges is that, you know, we have a lot, uh, most of our cities, many of our cities uh, and many cities in general who are taking aggressive climate action are doing so recognizing the urgency of the situation of the challenges of the scenarios that are unfolding. And in so doing, uh, I think, have rightly uh, set themselves uh, very ambitious targets that are often uh, more ambitious than national targets or even regional targets. And so there's a natural, I think, uh, inclination to try and really achieve big reductions, big wins as, uh, you know, as quickly as possible because of that urgency. And uh, I think probably for the way we uh, look at our work, one of the, the biggest challenges is making sure that in the urgency, in the uh, ambition, uh, we don't lose sight of the fact that uh, any policy that we create, climate or, or not, we need to center the needs of all residents of all communities in our cities. Otherwise, we run the risk of uh, potentially achieving the stated policy goals while exacerbating uh, in, in existing and entrenched inequities and uh, inequitable outcomes. And I think that's the real challenge is understanding how to balance the urgency of our uh, of our need to take uh, aggressive measures to reduce emissions while at the same time doing so in uh, in such a way that we are centering the needs of communities we are taking the time to ensure that climate actions are actually 
uh, studied uh, with communities and implemented with communities in order to reduce uh, inequality, to redress uh, inequality, and to achieve more equitable outcomes uh, across our cities and communities. And in particular, you, when we prepared this conversation, you mentioned embodied carbon in infrastructure. You mentioned also the approach toward consumption-based emissions. And those are really like issues that you seem very, very passionate about. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on this as, as really tools or instruments to make the cities more resilient to climate change and more equitable socially as well? Absolutely. I do think that in these pioneering policy areas of embedded and embodied carbon, what we're doing is moving beyond the traditional emission sources that could be related to the, the energy uh, use uh, in our cities and the energy systems and our systems of transportation and, and so on, and moving towards those emissions which are a little less evident as sources in our cities. And they often entail choices in terms of consumption when we're talking about the kinds of goods that we use and, and consume in cities. But they also uh, often entail choices that are uh, sort of Uh, upstream from the consumer in some ways, especially when we think about the built environment, the buildings uh, that surround us, uh, that constitute our cities that, uh, you know, I think is pretty generally accepted, generate up almost 40% of emissions uh, in our cities. And when we think about uh, not just the operations of those buildings, but also the whole life cycle uh, emissions associated with the building materials, the construction process, the life cycle of the use of that building, and then eventually the demolition or deconstruction and the waste generated from that whole sector, I think we begin to see that there is an, uh, an entirely sort of much larger and broader space for climate action. And both those realms, whether it's the built environment or the consumption of goods within our cities, because they entail choices, whether in defining choices for consumers or in choices that consumers make, inevitably have uh, implications on questions of, of equity and equitable outcomes. I think we can see that uh, on a number uh, of scales. Looking at uh, the types of transportation modes that uh, are available to different communities, uh, I think there's uh, deep questions of equity embedded in in those uh, in the access to different modes of transportation. If we look at the goods we consume, looking at urban food systems, I think there's deep inequities in food systems and existing urban food systems, and there's uh, incredible opportunities to generate new jobs, new skills, new social capital and community uh, around urban food systems in such a way to, uh, I think, uh, really prioritize uh, equitable outcomes. I think the same is true in the built environment. Opportunities to reduce uh, embodied emissions are plenty and can have uh, extremely, I think, uh, can be studied to have extremely beneficial uh, impacts uh, on residents on communities, um, both upstream of of the construction uh, site and within cities uh, themselves. So I, I do think that this is a space where uh, we need to focus, uh, I think, a, a great deal uh, of attention as some of the, the sort of lower hanging fruit in terms of uh, emissions reductions uh, is consolidated and integrated into urban policy frameworks. I think this is an area that we have to pay particular uh, attention to. And again, 
really think deeply about the balancing, the equilibrium between uh, the urgency and uh, the opportunity to really use uh, climate action to drive uh, equitable outcomes and not further uh, entrench existing inequities and inequitable outcomes. Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. And that's also the whole purpose of this podcast, really, to have this kind of, uh, yeah, promote and raise awareness around those initiatives that uh, go beyond, uh, let's say, a black and white take that big cities are only for, or large city, rich cities are only for rich people, because it, it's actually way more complicated than that. And to make their space for everyone and, and to make big cities happen, they need different kind of people, all different kind of, of jobs, all different kind of background as well. And that's really, really uh, super inspiring that now policymakers understand that and want to give space to multiplicity of, of experience, of background, of solution as well. And by being proactive in those directions, it also leave more space for innovation, for some kind of uh, sandpits as well to to try new things. And are there some some kind of transversal uh, CNCA initiatives or let's say pilot project that could have been implemented by your city members that would be really, really interesting to have this kind of, of uh, example, really? Yeah, well, I, I think can think of, uh, of numerous uh, examples. Um, we were, uh, as you know, we convened our members regionally last year rather than uh, having our uh, general annual meeting uh, with all of our membership uh, because we were still concerned about uh, potential uh, travel disruptions related to, to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we had uh, a chance, uh, a wonderful chance to to visit, for instance, uh, in Australia, all three of our member cities and a couple of, uh, of really, I think, deeply inspiring projects happening in those cities. I can think of, of one in particular that received CNCA direct support was took place in, uh, in Sydney. It was uh, just wrapping up, actually. And it uh, entails looking at ways to really leverage and support communities in offsetting emissions through sustainable indigenous-led land stewardship, country uh, stewardship practices that uh, ensure the continued permanence of carbon in existing landscapes. And looking, it allowed the, the city of Sydney to work closely with uh, indigenous uh, Aboriginal community organizations to explore uh, opportunities for that work to happen in their broader uh, city region and uh, regional uh, landscape and to really look at some of the, the challenges in doing so and finding opportunities for that work to to really uh, thrive and, and proliferate. And, and the project, I think, was uh, highly successful in identifying some of those barriers and then identifying opportunities to, uh, in second and successive phases of uh, the project, to find uh, opportunities and, and avenues to really overcome some of those barriers and, and generate more opportunities for, again, valuing Indigenous and Aboriginal uh, knowledge, uh, creating uh, opportunities for sustainable livelihoods in communities. And at the same time, ensuring that 
the carbon potential of of those landscapes is uh, maintained, if not uh, increased. So uh, very inspiring work there. We have uh, lots of cities uh, across our geographies uh, undertaking really fascinating work looking at how transportation systems in uh, northwest of, of the U.S. can, can uh, really be studied to reduce emissions while at the same time creating opportunity for small businesses in priority communities uh, to thrive, uh, for instance. So how are uh, low emission zones that are being planned and implemented, how can they be planned and implemented in such a way as to create new opportunities for priority communities uh, to thrive? So I think there's a whole host of uh, innovations that our uh, cities are, are pioneering. And, you know, we create the space for that to happen with support that is flexible uh, and allows uh, cities to really work closely with communities and community-based and led organizations in creating, you know, innovative new projects and approaches that then can be shared across the network and beyond and set new new standards for that kind of, of work. And if a city would like to join these trailblazing other cities that you are leading, how could they do so? Do they need to be vetted or can they just apply and be members? Well, they, they are certainly free to be in contact with us and uh, all that information is available on our website. We, uh, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, uh, it's a fundamental sort of characteristic of the organization that there's a, a certain amount of uh, intimacy. The members all have a very ambitious climate targets with related plans and dedicated staff and uh, dedicated uh, resources to the implementation of those plans. Uh, and so those are sort of some of the, the more sort of basic criteria for membership. But at the same time, because it's such an intimate and collaborative community, I think there needs to be a genuine commitment to engage with the membership, to be closely involved in, in the various uh, activities that CNCA leads and provides for members. And uh, finally, I think, you know, related to the broader question of equity and justice as an organization overall, I think we are looking specifically to increase membership and engagement in with cities uh, in uh, parts of of the world that we're currently underrepresented in. And there's amazing, uh, incredible innovation happening uh, in, in various geographies where we currently don't have strong membership that I think would be really an incredible asset for the membership overall to be able to uh, cultivate uh, engagement with and to share and cross-fertilize. Okay, so let me know if this, this podcast brings new members. That would be really, really interesting to follow up in a, in a year or two to, to know how this intimate network grows into a little bigger uh, intimate community and see how together with all those different perspectives, you, you manage to build a certain vision of the world that really puts fairness and equity uh, at the center. And I find really this initiative really super inspiring. And the mission, as you said, and the, the value are really at the core of the organization. And uh, and still very often we like organizations that, that have like such a strong stance on certain issues. So very, very last question, something that you are looking forward to in the coming weeks, coming years, any view on the future, really? I think I'll make it very related to uh, CNCA itself. Uh, and we'll be having, for the first time since 2019, we'll be able to have uh, all member 
annual meeting in 2023, uh, which will be hosted by uh, our member city, uh, Toronto, which we're uh, very thankful for. And we're, I'm, I'm just personally super excited to see uh, all of our members uh, come together in one place to uh, to really be a part of a convening that I think is is truly unique and memorable and and creates opportunities that can really help our cities sort of really recharge and and, and continue to drive uh, innovation and, and build those relationships and and rekindle those relationships uh, in order to really have the basis for uh, collaborative cross-member, all-membership learning. So that's truly exciting for me and uh, I'm sure it'll be inspirational for, for all our members and uh, I'll be looking forward to, to sharing out on how that goes uh, once uh, once we've had a chance to convene. That's great. So, uh, yeah, please follow Simone on LinkedIn and follow CNCA. Check their website as well to learn more about the initiatives. I mean, the one in Sydney, you'll have to give me more details. I will put that in the show notes because that sounds really, really uh, super promising as well. And a great deal of inspiration for all the communities worldwide that aim to have a better engagement of everyday people of live experience of underserved communities as well. So thank you so much, Simone. Thank you, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.